and welcome to the Instructional Insider. I am your host, Dr. Morgan Pittman, Instructional Designer and Curriculum Specialist at the North Carolina School of Science and Math here at the beautiful Morganton campus. It is February 1st and we are starting our spring semester. We have kicked off with a kind of dreary week. It's been kind of rainy and cloudy and just a little, ugh, hasn't felt very, uh, felt very spring-like, but the classes have been up and moving. We have had all of our new courses start and just to highlight a few things I've seen. Um, one thing I was really excited about was one of our new classes in the science department. It is environmental chemistry where they are looking at the environmental standpoint of science, but they're going to be investigating a lot of the chemistry and the chemistry compositions and dirt and soil and water and all of those different elements that are part of the environment. Today, when I went in there, the students were really digging in and looking at the different cycles that are in our world and in our atmosphere. And they were trying to find ways that these cycles are connected and overlapping. The students were really excited about learning some of those cycles that they knew a lot about, and then some they were having to completely learn new. So that was exciting. Um, I was also in one of our physics classes this one was on um, electricity and magnets and the students were working in a lab and i got a little tickled when i was in there they were trying to do repulsion and levitation and it was really easy with some of the um, items they have but they could not get one of the challenges to work and i kind of left it at it was probably because of the weather, which is a great indication because I have a ho uh, guest today that is a meteorologist. Um, but I really thought that it was probably the weather that was causing problems in the electricity that they were trying to create in their lab. Um, I also then went into another new course that is um, one of our uh, molecular and cell biology courses. And the students were really just getting back in the swing of conducting um, a lab and using data collection in the lab. So it really wasn't a huge experiment in regards to their topic, but they were testing um, water and salt water and an alcohol mixture and trying to see how many drops they could get on top of a penny. And then they were gonna analyze their data. So it was really just an introduction lesson, but it was highly engaging and the students were really, really excited about it and um, had a lot of um, authentic engagement there. Um, and then again, I went into one of our newer classes called machine learning and the kids were learning and uh, programming in Python which Python is a big buzzword around here, and I am not, uh, that's not an area of my expertise. So I personally am gonna put myself on the challenge of trying to learn more about Python. And it's very interesting because in my interview today with um, our meteorologist, he was talking about how important Python is in coding in the meteorology world, which is just, a great lead way into that. So I hope that you enjoy our interview today um, with our meteorologist and looking into a different insight of how science, math, and technology 
is implemented in his world of meteorology and broadcasting. So today with me, I have a guest. His name is Scotty Powell. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Morgan, for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about uh, what you guys are doing there in Morganton and, uh, you know, what I do here in Myrtle Beach and kind of how we all are tied together in this science and math world. Yeah, so can you tell us where you work? You just said Myrtle Beach, but we don't yeah. know what you do and what your job role title is. Yeah, so I am a meteorologist for WBTW, channel, uh, News Channel 13 in Myrtle Beach. We are a CBS affiliate. Um, so if you're ever in Myrtle Beach and um, you are maybe surfing through the TV and you like your shows on CBS, our station would be the one that you would watch. So um, I'm a full-time meteorologist here. Um, my schedule is kind of crazy from time to time, uh, very weather-dependent, but uh, on a day or weekly basis, I am the morning meteorologist uh, on the weekends, and then also the 9 a.m., noon, and 4 p.m. meteorologist uh, on Monday through Wednesday. So um, I kind of cover the weekend morning shift, and then during the weekdays, uh, you'll see me on like it uh, from 9 to 4 p.m. Uh, doing shows. So, um, and then obviously, if there's severe weather, we're right. all as a team in working together. We work in shifts and. Um, Either you'll see us here in the station or like last week uh, when we were supposed to talk originally, uh, I was out in the field covering the severe weather. So right. uh, it's never a dull moment here. You know, it's it's always busy uh, in, in the weather center. So I actually met you because you're actually from Burke County, correct? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I met you in my many years of education, teaching science. And you came and you spoke to my fifth grade science students 15, 16, 17 years ago. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, how did you get from Burke County to Myrtle Beach? Because that's, that's very fascinating. I was very excited to see that for you. Yeah, so my weather story, we'll kind of go back to when I was a kid and what, uh, how I, I pursued this, this passion that's now... Uh, yeah, it's a job, but I don't really call it a job because I really enjoy what I do. So uh, when I was in fourth grade, um, I went to school at Hillcrest Elementary in Morganton. And my mom uh, was on the director of PTA or PTO uh, right. in different schools. It's different things. And Eric Thomas, who was the chief meteorologist at WBTV in Charlotte, um, was going to come speak to us, um, do like a school presentation. But at the last second, he had to cancel. I can't remember if it was severe weather or something that popped up. Right. And so he had invited myself and my family to come down and kind of give a studio tour. Uh, from that, I got to like hop on TV with him during one of the segments. And then afterwards, uh, we got the full tour and then we went out to eat to dinner with uh, out to eat dinner. And so from that, as a young kid, I was like, you know, I really want to do that. So it wasn't a particular storm. It wasn't a particular event. A lot of meteorologists can pinpoint like a hurricane or a right. winter storm or something like that. But mine was actually a particular person that really kind of helped spark that. Wow. Not only was it Eric Thomas, but it was like the movie. Uh, this is crazy. The movie Twister yeah. was coming out at that time. So, <laughs> um, so you, you kind of, I put those two together and I was like, man, I, I really want to figure out because at a young age, I was scared of storms. Right. Um, and then I wanted to learn how they form and, you know, there's nothing really to be scared of storms as long as you're not acting crazy and out in the middle of a lightning. So you're you know, not a, you're not a storm like chaser. 
I've been storm chasing <laughs> a couple of times and uh, I won't get super close, but back in 2019, uh, we went, I, myself and a few other friends uh, went storm chasing out in Kansas and Oklahoma and Colorado and actually it was a mile from an EF3 tornado that was, right. I think it was about a mile wide um, and that was just such a cool experience and uh, the adrenaline of doing that was, was really cool too. So I, I have been storm chasing, but I'm not one of those that will drive up right to the edge. You know? I'm, I'm not that, not that, uh, not that. I'm not going to say crazy, but I'm not that brave to do that. So, okay. um, but from that, um, you know, I wanted to pursue weather going throughout my career, and so in college, uh, I started at Appalachian State and right. got my environmental science degree. And from that, transferred to Penn State to finish out my meteorology degree. And um, I'll be honest with you, I was scared of the math because um, math was never really my strong suit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's something you want in life, you are you have to challenge yourself to pursue that. Right. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to bite the bullet per se and really kind of just hunker down. And, and what I learned is going through college – the math was scary and I wasn't the best at it, but I also learned what I learned in math is also done with computers that we work with today. So I don't really have to memorize those long formulas because the computers and the programming that we work with do that for you. But it's always great to have that in the back of your mind. You can dig up, like I have notes on my computer on a flash drive, you know, I can dig up those formulas and, and, you know, really focus on that if I need to, but it's cool. The technology that we have kind of does that for us. So we don't have to like study at this big formula forever and be like, Oh my gosh, am I getting this right or not? But um, I say all that to say that's for broadcasting. If you want to go into meteorology and maybe, um, like the National Weather Service, or you want to do research, or maybe you want to turn your love for meteorology into teaching for our future meteorologists, then obviously the math is is way more important because you do have to learn that to teach that to other folks. So kind of in the weather field, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to do more broadcasting where, you know, we have five computers in our weather center that, you know, we can decipher through all the model data, right. um, that's easy. But if you want to pursue that and maybe go into the teaching elements, um, you know, you're more inclined to using that math where in broadcasting, we still use that math. But a lot of what we do is social science and how can we communicate threats that we see to the public to help them kind of understand, hey, you know, just because it's a category one hurricane doesn't mean that it's not going to be a big deal uh, because every hurricane is different. So even though it's a category one, which is defined by wind speed, the storm surge or the flooding potential is a lot more um, dangerous than the wind threat. So um, I'm I'm sorry we got off on that tangent, but, (laughs) but, you know, going back to, to college, you know, going through that, um, the math was scary, but we got through it. And um, the science aspect, obviously, you know, I work with science every day. Right. You know, that, that's what I do. Uh, meteorology is a form of a scientist. And so, um, you know, and the computer aspect, it's it's amazing what our computers models can do and, and how they can pick up on things. So, um, you know, we use a lot of math and science and, and computer technology in, in our everyday lives. So, but that's kind of my story. It started off with a person and a movie twister right. and then kind of related to, um, 
being back in Burke County, uh, working for, at the time, it was Foothills Weather Network. Right. And um, that was while I was in college. So it's almost kind of like an internship okay. type deal of being able to um, to really practice what I, what I was learning. And um, with that, working with emergency management in McDowell County and helping them prepare for severe weather or winter weather, and then kind of piggybacking off that to um, I do work with NASCAR and I'm still able to even though I'm, I'm working here at WBTW um, they've given me the opportunity to continue what I've been doing with NASCAR for the last six years and that's forecasting um, for specific tracks in the southeast oh, and giving them weather updates and I'm there on site you know from from Friday through the weekend uh, in meetings and giving folks you know here's here's what we expect on, on weather days you right. know we, we honestly want sunny days and it's, it's not as stressful for me, but those days that we do have thunderstorms, you know, trying to get the timing down. And also you, know, you may have 60, 80,000 fans watching an event and you've right. got to make sure, you know, you just can't snap your finger and everybody evacuates. It's, right. it's all a time process. So you have to really track those storms and, and really have a plan on, you know, if these thunderstorms do pop up, let's say between two and four o'clock, which is when the race is going on, what is that time frame that we need to start making those calls to make sure people are safe? So um, with that, I'm here at WBTW and forecasting for the Grand Strand and for the PD of, of uh, South Carolina. And uh, it's it's been a crazy adventure, but one that's, um, that I'm definitely happy to be a part of. Right. Um, one point you made, and I really hadn't thought about it, but it really depends upon what area of meteorology are focusing on the broadcast and is a lot different than if you're working on the different spectrum. So I had not really thought about that where um, in your specific role, you don't work with the math so much, but there is a lot of that going on behind the scenes with someone else in that department. That's correct. Yeah. So broadcasting, let's say um, CAPE, is convective available potential energy. And you're like, what is that? Basically, it's like fuel for a thunderstorm. So um, it's like fuel for a car. If your car needs to go somewhere, you, you've got to put gas in it. Right. So for CAPE, a thunderstorm has to have that to form. Well, if I go on TV and dive into the mathematics of how we do, how we get CAPE and those <laughs> values, you know, our, our viewers are going to be like... I don't, I don't care. What's going on. I don't know what's going on. I just need to know, are we going to see severe weather right. or tornadoes today? So, you know, as a broadcaster, I have to take all of that behind the scenes and present that in a way that our folks who are watching TV can understand that. So, you know, is that with numbers, colors, you know, there's all kinds of talking about the social science of, of what people understand. Whereas, you know, a meteorologist for the National Weather Service, they're really diving into the CAPE and they're really diving into those formulas to really get those uh, specifics because they are the ones that issue like tornado watches and severe thunderstorm watches. Okay. We as broadcast meteorologists, we can't do that. Okay. You know, we can't issue our own watches and warnings. That's that's up to the National Weather Service. And when they do that, then we obviously broadcast right. that out. But so for the broadcast perspective on TV, I don't use the math. Because if I do, I lose my viewers. Absolutely. But behind the scenes in the Weather Center, uh, we look at what we call skew-t plots. And it's basically what happens every um, it's three or four times a day. Um, we use, not we at the station, but the Weather Service launches weather balloons. And that balloon 
uh, can get up to 100,000 feet. And with it is um, all these weather instruments that we use, thermometers, hydrometers, mm -hmm. uh, anemometers. It tells us where the wind is direction and speed is coming from. And so we digest all that data into what a skew-t plot is. And so it'll show you, well, you know, in the lower part of the atmosphere, you know, we may have this much moisture and then we get into the medium part, moderate or medium part of the atmosphere, there's not as much moisture. And so that shows you where your cape is. So if that thunderstorm starts to grow into that portion of the atmosphere, that's really got a lot of energy, then we can expect to see thunderstorms. So if I was to do that on TV, our viewers people. would be totally lost, but yeah. that's what we do behind I'm the scenes. That's how we use math, but we have to, we have to, Trans, we have to translate it to our viewers where it's more of a simple process yeah. for them to understand. And what I just talked about was about a minute and a half, and we only have three minutes in a whole weather cast to talk about what's going to happen not only today, but the next seven days. So, so that really um, goes into some of those soft skills that with the social aspect or the social science that I hadn't even thought about. There is a lot of math and science that goes on behind the scenes that mm -hmm. you or the National Weather Network has, has already formulated and, and created because you've got to get out there quickly and tell the, the everyday person, this is what's happening and this is what you need to prepare for. So that's a really good point. I really liked um, what you were talking about here. We have on our Morganton campus, we're really big into data science. That is mm -hmm. all of our students here are required to take data science classes. And one of the courses um, or one of the classes that I went into back in the fall, they were using the Burke County um, or the Burke Airport weather report. And so, of mm -hmm. course, it's doing all of your um, months and months, probably years worth of data collecting. And they were focusing on the dry bulb temperature. So there they were using the different thermometers and weather instruments that's used. Um, but... I, I, I find that fascinating because even though right now we don't have a meteorology focused class, we have a huge environmental focus. So on top mm -hmm. of data science and the data science classes are doing things with weather data because we have years of it, decades of it. Um, we have a huge focus in environmental science as well. Um, this morning I was in um, an um, environmental chemistry class and they were talking about all of your lingo of all the different atmospheres and the different systems that are going on in those classes. They were talking, of course, your, your water cycle, your carbon cycle, the nitrogen cycle. As a meteorologist, I know the water cycle is huge, but what about the other cycles? Is that something that you have to be familiar with as, as well? It is. So, you know, when we get into those summertime periods where uh, we have a more um, relaxed weather system where it kind of just gets hot every day. Right. Um, we see inversions, and with that, we have pollution so or air quality issues. So right. those cycles are very important to determine. You know, if we see a very stagnant weather pattern where um, it's hot every day and the upper level winds are not blowing as, as, as they need to, it's not mixing the atmosphere up. When that inversion happens, we see a lot of issues with with stagnation and, and pollution. So maybe not necessarily in Morganton because right. it's a smaller city or here in Myrtle Beach where we don't have a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, industry. But maybe your places like Charlotte or Raleigh where you see a lot of a lot of travel a mm -hmm. and then you have a lot of pollutants from cars, from factories, 
like that. So those those cycles, the carbon cycle and all that, that that really helps us out with air quality issues, you know, and, and if those air quality issues are bad on a, on a summer day, you know, folks who have health issues like asthma and right. uh, breathing issues, um, it's not safe for them to go out. And so that's a big part for us too. We, you know, we have to look at those cycles, but we also have to look at how the atmosphere mixes up and, okay. and, and, and see how that affects. And one other thing about you were talking about earlier about the, um, the data that they were using at the Morganton Airport, those, that's very important data that gets uh, filtered into uh, our short-term data that we see. We use different models. The, you know, in the weather world, you may have heard of the GFS or the American model or the European yeah. model. Those are more long-term models, but we also have something called the HRRR, the um, rapid refresh model, which interprets, it gets hourly data that's fed into the Morganton Airport right. or the Myrtle Beach Airport. And the temperature, that dew point, that humidity gets fed into that data. And that helps us determine, you know, hourly data. Well, you know, is the temperature actually warming more than what we expected today? So right. that gets into that and it kind of helps uh, self-correct that data. So let's say, you know, today's a great example in Myrtle Beach. We have a cold front moving in. Well, the high temperature today was forecasted to be 68, but we noticed the data, we're running five, six degrees warmer than what that data was telling us. So with that uptick in data, we're able to level that out and say, hey, you know, we were forecasting 68 at six o'clock this morning, but now that we're seeing this data come in at our nine o'clock uh, show, you know, we bumped our high temperature up to right. 72 today because we were able to see that instantaneous data that was fed into the system and say, you know what, that data is important because, you know, we wasn't expecting to be this warm. So we need to bump up our temperatures or, okay. or lower our temperatures, however it is. So um, that data that you use there at the airport in Morganton and, and honestly, any of these airports is very critical into that short term data to help us get the temperature, uh, the precipitation, you know, especially in the wintertime. You know, let's say we're forecasting rain and our data is saying, well, it's going to be 35 degrees. Well, just that's just a cold rain. Right. But if that data is actually colder, let's say Morganton's actually reporting 29 and we're seeing rain coming in, that's a big issue because it could cause ice or snow yeah. or stuff like that. That happened to me last week. I was out um, running. I run at 3.30 in the morning. I'm crazy. <laughs> and the the weather you know weather the weather channel was reporting it's 37 degrees 38 degrees okay n nothing's going to happen as far as freezing weather at 38 mm -hmm. we get out there and as we're out there the temp drops you know that that time of the day the temperature started dropping and it got down to like 31 you know what happened to everything that was out there it yeah. just kind of iced over really quick um so that that's good information to keep in check um I also, I went into another class that found it very interesting. I had a conversation and I said, I'll ask the meteorologist today. <laughs> <laughs> so it is incredibly foggy here today. It's just nasty and it's not a, a pretty day to be outside. And they were, it's a, a physics class, but they were doing electricity. So they were looking at different types of um, trying to make um, electricity and repulsion and in their lab. And it wasn't working. And I said, I wonder if the weather or the humidity had anything to do with that. Is, is that something you could answer? Or you'd be like, eh, I'd have to investigate that a little bit more. 
Well, a little bit. I can. So you're trying to make electricity, and it's kind of damp out there. It's kind of humid. Fast forward to, let's say, over Christmas, where we saw extremely cold temperatures. Yes. Let's say you were walking across the floor, and you touched the doorknob, and you had that little electric shock. Well, we had cold, dry air. And for electricity, let's say, you need that dry air to conduct. you you got to have that conduction, you know, friction. So if if the air is more moist, like if I was to rub my hands right now, they're dry and I can feel that heat. But let's say my hands, if I poured in my water bottle, if I poured water on my hands and kind of rubbed them, it takes a long, long time for that friction to conduct because there's moisture and that moisture kind of cools the environment or the atmosphere around it. So yeah, you know, that, that's perfect reason the outside temperature or the outside conditions is cooler, it's more humid, and it takes a lot uh, to get the, that electricity to, to form. So, yeah, weather has a big, big uh, play on that. Even with lightning, you know, if we have a very saturated column of air, we're not as likely to see lightning. Whereas if we have a dry slot in the atmosphere in the summertime and our thunderstorm or updraft bust into that, then that creates that dry air and that creates that friction where we see lightning occur. So yeah, it definitely had a a very, weather had a a big effect on that. I thought so, but I mean, we kind of, I kind of left it. I left them and I said, (laughs) well, I'm just going to leave it at at, at that to figure it out. I also had predicted that, you know, when they did it that morning, there wasn't as many bodies in the, in the room. So it was colder. So I did kind of mention the colder air. And then when you got more students that came in there, you've got 15, 20 kids in there. It's gotten a lot more humid in the room. It's hotter. So that was my prediction, but I just kind of left it at that for them to figure out. They're the experts in that field. Um, Something else you mentioned that I was thinking about is our students do a lot. They're learning a lot with program and they use a program called Python. I know nothing about it. That is one of my areas of weakness, and I want to start taking some courses in Python. Are you familiar with Python at all? I am. I'm not good. At, <laughs> I'm not good at it. Um, we have, in fact, our meteorologist uh, Hannah Ronner. Uh, she uh, is a graduate of College of Charleston meteorology degree, but she also has a degree in coding. I need to talk to her. You need to hook yes. me up with that. And so, whenever I'm wanting to make a graphic or from scratch, or I have an idea, I was like, Hannah, here's what I have, because all of our graphic, especially for our computer programming, there's like two sides to it. There's the side that I can do, right? or if you're wanting to start from scratch and you're wanting to get into coding, you have that potential with our weather graphics here, and you can do some amazing things at it. And that's something that, you know, as as I get into, you know, into the years, you know, do I want to go back to code? Do I want to go back to school right. and maybe take some coding classes and, and and try to learn more? But you know, for kids who are graduating college right now, getting into the meteorology profession, not only do they have a big, or not only do they have a meteorology degree, but they have a big background in GIS or coding, because a lot of what we do, especially in broadcast meteorology is making graphics and getting that information out in various ways to help people understand that. So um, I'm not the best at it. I'll be honest with you. I I need more practice at it. Uh, But, you know, if there's anyone wanting to get into meteorology, if I could give you a big bit of advice, it's really focus on coding. And and there's so many things you can do with maps that are amazing if you take the time to go through coding 
and, and make those things work. You can get so many eyeballs on it. And it's something that a lot of people in our field are are not doing right now. There's okay. a very small group. And so that small group is getting a lot of attention on their product yeah. because they're amazing. They're able to do this amazing stuff. So, you know, that's a big word of advice. If you have the opportunity to take coding classes, GIS classes, definitely. Do that, that That is what they are doing. Like they, we have some, I'm talking to our students and they're only 11th graders. Next year, they'll be 12th and 11th grade here. They are amazing at what they can already do in their coding working in python so if any of our instructors students listening to that that you heard that that's just a really great a big growing field i I will tell you there there is um a big need for that in our community in our broadcast meteorology community i have several friends i have one that um is getting ready to graduate from unc Asheville. And he's a meteorology student, but he has really uh, deep, really went into deep with Python. And he's making these fall foliage maps every mm. year. And from that, there's been numerous meteorologists throughout the country that's reached out to him and wanting to use that to right. where he's made it a proprietary thing now that that's his. Wow. And people pay him to use his product. So it's there's a huge potential there. For, for kids um, who are into that. So keep on doing that if you're doing that. And if, if you've been thinking about it, like, I don't know, it, it's probably worth dipping your toes into the water because there's yeah. so much you can do, not only in meteorology, but in, in so many other professions. Yeah, I'm going to, I've put that challenge on myself to, to learn a little bit about it. So um, one other question I wanted to ask you is outside of, learning about the, the obvious when it comes to becoming a meteorologist, which we've already talked about things I haven't even thought about. Like, why would a meteorologist need a coding background? We've talked about that, which I wasn't even expecting that, which was excellent information. Is there any other science fields? I know of one in my brain. I'm thinking of, like, geography needs to be important. Um, I, know, I know geography was a huge thing forecasting here because of the mountains, obviously the ocean. Is there any other areas in science that are really important when you think about going into meteorology? So if you work in broadcasting, I can only speak to broadcasting. I'm I'm not in the National Weather Service, um, but in broadcasting, if you want to pursue this, you're the resident scientist. So either it's weather, it's earthquakes, you need to learn about plate tectonics, and you need to learn how the earth shifts because if there's an earthquake in your area, who are they coming to? They're coming to you to talk That's about point. it. Uh, that also was tsunamis, volcanoes. Yeah. Um, I do a segment every week, astronomy. You know, here's things that you can see in the sky. Yeah. Uh, science rules in TV. People are so interested in what goes on in their world because it's something that we all experience right. Every day, we all experience the weather. We all can look up at the sky and see what's going on there. If there was an earthquake or a volcano, we would all experience that. So, uh, if you go into meteorology, you have to learn about these other things, you know. So, um, geology, like you said, um, geography as well. Um, you know, in North Carolina, Western North Carolina, the mountains are a huge driver of the right. weather there. We have orographic lift. When you have warm air that rises up on the eastern slopes of the mountains, it creates snow or rain. Yeah. And that's why in Morganton and Marion. Rain and shadow effect. Yes. 
sees sees so much more rain than Charlotte or Raleigh. And then here at the beach, yeah, the ocean, we have a sea breeze every day in the summertime that kicks off thunderstorms. It's right. because the water is warm to the point where eventually, let's say the water temperature is 85 degrees. Well, eventually our temperature here on the surface is going to be like 90 degrees. So right. warm uh, water blow or wind blows from colder to warmer surfaces, which creates a sea breeze. And then vice versa, the land cools faster than the water does at night. So we get a land breeze. And so that's why it's always windy at the beach in the summertime. So, you know, you have to be that residential scientist. And another thing is um, social media can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Right. But social media and weather is your place. People are still watching TV but how do people get their information is off this phone. So you need yeah. to be really good at social media. Uh, you need to be able to be clear and concise on what you want to communicate. Watch what you post on social media because people are watching and, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. If you think it's not bad, somebody else will. And right. then you have people who will disagree with you and stuff. And you don't want to really get into that, you know, especially being in broadcasting not only are you representing yourself, you're representing the station, you're representing the sponsors who sponsor this station. Yeah. So um, social media, you need to be good at that. And don't be afraid to ask and network, network, network. I have, I would not be where I'm at right now if I did not network. And that is the biggest thing in meteorology is we are a small circle. Right. The folks that I work with here, I didn't know it until I worked here. Our morning meteorologist, James. Right. Guess where his wife's from? I have Nebo. Oh, Nebo. that's where I was born and raised. Yeah, Nebo. <laughs> and I had no idea. You know, it's a small world. His wife is from Nebo. He was from Charlotte. Oh. He went to UNC Charlotte. He lived in Hickory. And it's just a small, small community. So it's so important to network, network, network. Um, you know, that's what I tell a lot of kids who are wanting to go into this profession. That's why social media is important. Be professional with social media, but network with your big meteorologists who you follow or watch on TV. You know, I promise you, I've, I've had a kid email me back over Christmas break who wants to do an internship with me this coming summer. I love that because I love to share my passion with other people. And that's and what so, got you into it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And so, you know, networking is very, very important. So don't be afraid. Don't be shy ask those questions because there are people out there who are willing to help you. Well, I really appreciate just you talking about meteorology and I'm thrilled that you mentioned and knew about Python and just the whole aspect of science in general. I had not thought about, you know, meteorology. We do look at you guys for all the science aspects, even though a lot of phenomenons have nothing to do with weather, but for some reason we all turn to the weather guy to find out something about it. So that's an excellent point. And I really appreciate um, you taking your time to talk to our faculty here in your own hometown and um, giving us all your words of wisdom. So thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm hoping to get back in late spring, early summer. So I'd love to come and see the facility. Unfortunately, when I moved down here, I wasn't able to get in there in there to see how amazing I, I watched. I watched it from the building up process. Yeah. So I got to see it, but I never got to go inside and see the final product. So we will bring you be, in. 
Yes, I would be more than happy to to see that. So, and I appreciate you uh, reaching out, and I love talking meteorology. And any other time, you know, love to come back on. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.